0: My name is Siddhanchu and welcome to the Swadeshi Videshi podcast where we try to find out more about India and explore more about Indians through an insider and outsider's perspective. Welcome to another episode of Sudeshi Videshi brought to you by the India Hub. This week, I want to discuss a topic that has been almost um, on every news channel feed and a talking point in India, and more importantly, outside of India, the farmers protest occurring in North India, how these bills were passed um, in September of this year. Uh, Yet, not much has been said of of what I believe is the crux of this movement, Um, the mobilization of unions behind this protest um, and the reaction Um, of the caste and class solidarity that's occurring inside India and outside of India as well. Uh, To discuss this, I have Navio Gill, who's a professor at William uh, Patterson University. He's a PhD in history from Emory and his research focuses on labor and agrarian studies, uh, caste politics, global capitalism, and subaltern studies. He's written extensively on Punjab, agriculture, caste, and economy of cultivation. Navio, it's wonderful to have you on the show today.
1: Ah, Thank you for having me, Sudhanshu. Really uh, happy to be here and to uh, engage with you and all of your listeners.
0: Perfect. Now, before I ask um, you to give a little bit more of an introduction of the research you do, um i just wanted to give a roadmap for all the listeners um so we agreed that we wanted to do a free-flowing conversation um, rather than a set of questions to be answered and i kind of in my head have divided the show in in areas where i really want to touch upon and one is is speaking about the protest movement itself the cast and class uh the you know union mobilization exactly you know how do we how did we get here right um the the second part i really want to talk about is I, i would assume the political mobilization of, of specific party and non-party actors that are kind of piggybacking on this movement uh, which is interesting to me and then lastly I kind of want to end the show on basically the diaspora response to the movement uh, the positive and sometimes I believe uh, the negative as well um, so could we could we get a brief introduction of, of the work you do a little bit for the listeners uh, sure and how it uh, I'm, uh, yeah
1: well I'm I'm a historian um, of modern South Asia and global capitalism. Um, My work explores uh, sort of broad questions about various studies, labor history, post-colonial critique. Um, And uh, currently I'm sort of finishing a book uh, actually titled Labors of Division, Capitalism and the Emergence of the Peasant in Colonial Punjab. Um, I've also written sort of articles on different aspects of 19th and 20th century uh, Punjabi history and sort of global debates around political economy and, and capitalism. Um, connected to the movement, I guess, it's uh, or, the, or the issue at hand, I mean, it's, it's that this is my area of research in the sense of, of history. Um, I've spent uh, a number of years in Punjab, I have accidental family connections. Uh, my family's from Moga district, uh, my pen is Safuwala, um, but I grew up in, I was born in Toronto, actually, and grew up in the West. Um, so, I've spent a lot of time in the region for my research uh, with Kassan and Kate Mazdoor unions. Um, and to be honest, when this movement emerged over the summer, I was, of course, watching it, uh, you know, as everyone else was, I guess, on social media, on independent media and news channels. And um, I guess I got um, a little annoyed at the sort of same old liberal Delhi voices describing everything from that perspective and I kind of felt the duty to at least articulate my perspective in this moment so that's where I started writing and engaging.
0: Perfect and you know I two things that I take away from that one is um, I think we've had a very similar uh, upbringing in the fact that I, I also grew up in the west not necessarily Toronto but a small town in Alabama um, and my family connections my parents actually live in Kurukshetar uh, near a small town. Um, we are um, a, you know, farming kind of background um, family. So that's, that's my personal interest. Um, even though I might have this American accent, um, I'm deeply, <laughs> deeply interested um, in what's happening within, obviously, Haryana, um, um, which is which is my home state. Um, and obviously, then North India itself. Uh, the second thing I kind of, you know, want to start this off is, is, is something you hit on is, you were following this through the summer, Um, And I think for a lot of viewers that will be listening to this show, it's like, you know how like it's zero to 100 real quick. It's like people, Mm. something happened, and now there are people on the streets, right? And then people are trying to kind of backtrack and learn, oh, these bills that were kind of hastily passed that we kind of heard in passing in September. We might have heard, you know, the Captain Henderson government uh, denounce the bills in maybe October, November, and then boom, you have people. That's not how it happened. And I kind of want to, you know, backtrack and kind of understand that how did we get here where there are hundreds of thousands of people in the streets, thousands of, you know, farmers have been either, you know, either gone to jail for a bit or have had cases on them. How did this happen throughout this period of time? And does this go beyond just, um, and I think this might be too large of a question for right now, but does it go beyond just the passing of the bills in September and a, a larger movement building?
1: Yeah, I think we can, these are fantastic questions and I think we can sort of take them um, as we go forward in a sort of dialogue. Um, but I think just to set things off, what we're witnessing in North India um, will have reber- reverberations across the world. Uh, it is a kind of global story. And especially for people living in the West, we ought to pay attention because The kind of mobilization we're seeing there should give us insight into what we might want to do in this society. Uh, I think the people there are leagues ahead of what counts as politics here. Um, And usually we're sort of trained to kind of think of the Western advanced world as leading the charge and everybody else sort of following behind. I think the dynamic is reversed. Uh, The West has a lot to learn from from what we're seeing there. But your your initial sort of prompt um, is is important uh, in terms of where did this mobilization come from? Yeah, you don't just surround the capital city of the world's so-called largest democracy overnight. Um, And uh, we really have to acknowledge the patient, um, inglorious, thankless work of the unions who were organizing people over the summer. Um, When these bills, uh, these ordinances were first promulgated, I think in May um, or June, um, farmers groups immediately uh, could see what they were about, uh, could, you know, were fully aware of what kind of an effect they would have. And they began to gather their supporters and engage in a kind of, you know, the cliche, right? Grassroots campaign to bring awareness about these bills. People talk about 31 unions in Punjab who've been at the forefront of this struggle. It is true, there are 31, uh, it looks like it's a lot. Sometimes people wish that there could just be one unified union, but they actually have sectional interests. They're regionally located. They're sort of based on d- certain industries and they have certain political orientations along a kind of spectrum. Um, but they all saw the immediate threat and they, you know, began to uh, hold events, uh, send their people out through villages um, and towns um, and did that work of mobilizing. And this all in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, And so that months-long sort of agitation, small-scale demonstrations, a march, shutting down a toll plaza, gathering outside the home of a politician, happened at a sort of steady clip over the summer, and then culminated in the larger mobilizations that happened in September, when it looked like these bills were going to be passed without modification or consultation even.
0: So... You know, one thing that that kind of just hit me and and something that I think people aren't as uh, frequently talking about or quick to assume is that I've heard a lot from my very well educated uh, Delhi friends who are, you know, doing consulting and or banking and they're like, you know, what's good for the country, quote unquote, what's good for the country without assuming what's good for the farming community or the people of of you know a certain region, India, et cetera. But also, it's, there's, there's this push to uh, discredit the understar- understanding of what farmers might know of this bill. So I've seen this push a lot, maybe not even, maybe in the mainstream media, but also like what I would say the right wing media as well. Um, on a, you know, on like people that just grab a GoPro and they're just recording people's thoughts. And the push is, is that, you know, the farmers themselves don't understand what the bills are per se. Right. And, and I think, and this is just my like two cents here. I think it's interesting because I don't think they need to understand what supposedly the bills are per se, the one by one by one, right. It's the impact that it has on the farming community and their profession and their livelihood. What's at risk and who better to understand that and know the implications than a you know farmer whose you know previous five six generations have been within this system farming in the community and know their land and what the products that uh, therefore will come out of um, and I just think yeah. it's interesting how there's this big big push to to discredit even that that their lack of understanding of these bills
1: <laughs> yeah no it's it's remarkable, and it's a big push uh, and at the same time it's faltering because uh, I mean firstly you just see the kind of condescension that is like implicit in that kind of a claim. Right. Um, what you said in the beginning about, you know, what is good for the country? Who is the country? Who counts, uh, as the country? What, 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 is, what does it mean to have a country and how does one allocate and divide up interests? Um, and then, and then of course, you know, farmers not understanding, I actually have seen, you know, this claim be made, but sort of disproven every day. Um, social and independent media has allowed, like you said, people to kind of stick microphones in front of people or use their sort of cameras and and record. But the vast majority of comments I've seen um, people give, the the people that are speaking are far more articulate and astute than any of the people sitting in sort of a news studio in Delhi. They absolutely know what these bills are about. They know what they will do to uh, the agrarian economy. They know about its ramifications across Society, um, so it's it starts with kisans and kathamisnulums, but what these bills do in the sense of privatizing and deregulating agricultural procurement and distribution, will sort of uh, devastate everyone um, across the board. And usually, you know, the the, the two instances that come to mind uh, in terms of what I've seen people say is one, this sort of deregulation experiment has been conducted in Bihar in two thousand six, and they actually have. I've seen videos of like Bihari farmers giving statements too saying, this is what happened. When they got rid of the Mundi system, uh, we were at the whim of the market, our incomes plunged. And that's why we actually are coming to other states like Punjab as agricultural laborers in greater numbers. So we've seen what happened to our state, don't let it happen here. And the other side of it is, look at the country we're in, right? This country like Canada, like Western Europe, uh, actually has massive amounts of supports and subsidies for agriculture to protect this you know, part of the economy from the whims of the market. So it's not even allowed and implemented here in a place that has the best roads and infrastructure uh, and resources. What possibility could it have of succeeding um, um, in, in India? So, I mean, the, the arrogance of these people to say that uh, farmers don't understand, I think is sort of disproven every day.
0: So, were you able to follow that? We, you were talking about how these movements, these unions were educating people, raising kind of the efficacy levels uh, and the understanding of, of these farm bills. Um, were you able to kind of track or learn about you know how they went about? Was it what you were saying district by district, community by community, um, et cetera like I, I'm curious to understand two you know twenty days ago for these farmers to come in and you know it 's been there done before in a very smaller way. Uh, you know, last year, you know, notwithstanding these bills, but last, last year and two years ago as well, you had Jalodili protest at the same level uh, where uh, farmers came in to, you know, get either their loans waived off, et cetera, and not related to this bill, um, have, again, the MSP issues. Um, so this kind of mobilization has been going on for years huh. and years. Um, you know, how is this different in that way?
1: Yeah, so I think that the the unions with their cadre, did that work of mobilizing. And so then what, what does one say when, what do they? What does one mean when they say mobilizing? I mean, I've read a statistic where they, you know, they printed something like 100,000 pamphlets and distributed them to people to explain these bills to them. Um, um, having marches uh, where they would, you know, set up stages, impromptu stages, and people would speak, you know, Kassans, mazdoors local leaders would speak. And if there's 20 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 people in the crowd, This was sort of happening all through the summer during the pandemic. Um, Lots of artists actually got involved. Um, Musicians, uh, I think in the last three or four months, something like 200 songs have come out uh, addressing uh, these bills. Uh, Some really good
0: songs, by the way.
1: (laughs) Incredible songs, yeah. We could have a whole show about the the (laughs) artistic, poetic, uh, you know, new music and new culture. But all of those, you know, celebrities even that came out brought more attention to it. And, you know, in between us, you know, a, a sort of actor or singer coming on stage, there's a Kassan union or Ketan Muslim leader explaining it. And that I think is like, usually people don't have sort of patience for that, but it's great that you're, you're wanting to focus on this. They did that work and those unions and their membership um, were sort of on the ground bringing about that awareness. And I think it was when that realization sort of came that these bills are a violation of our rights, and they're a threat to our existence, haq and haq, that is what in a sense inspired people to take increasing steps to get their voice heard. And when their voice wasn't heard, is when you had this historic turn to Dindi on November twenty-sixth, and, you know, shutting down the main arteries of the Capitol.
0: And, you know, this, obviously, this entire protest uh one thing that i kind of want to clarify with other people is not just i mean it's called a farmers protest but there generally is a what we would call in the academic world or in the western world the casting class solidarity that's that's being showcased and when i say you know cast in class um I'm not one to say that the farming community is one by any means. And I think you would also agree. There has always been the reason why you're saying there are 31 unions and why there are plenty more unofficial <laughs> unions as well um, is there's just so many dynamics at play when it comes to the farming community, as well as, you know, people that are surrounded by the farming community. Right. So, you you know, you have the Zamindar, you have um, the Dalit uh, laborers, but on top of that, um, you have the Artis, right, which... In, you know, in my upbringing in the life that I had, the arthi was a huge, huge deal, especially within the mandi system, right? And those Artis are you know, necessarily, you know, they're from two or three uh, uh, caste belonging, and, and especially in Kurukshetra, where uh, I live close to the mandi. And you know, I see visuals of the farmers that are coming out. But what we're also, you know, th- th- that we're lacking, I feel, to highlight is that the artis are also just as risky because this is their livelihood at, at, at gone, right? What, you know, the, co- the thing yeah. is the artis, the ATM bank, but the ATM bank in a way where it's not necessarily just a bank. It's there. There is a solidarity between the two when the Kassan needs something. And this has been talked about a lot not going to go into it. But what I'm thoroughly amazed at is for the first time, and this is why this protest, uh, I think, is the most successful and also the most incredible in terms of is there is such an incredible solidarity between all these different caste class and class um, people that are out on the streets and are showcasing their resentment towards it. It's not just, oh, the only Kisan that, you know, uh, crops is farmland and they're the only ones that are coming out. That's far from okay. the case.
1: Right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the, the BJP government um, is used to sort of hurling the accusation of separatists at anybody they don't like. Um, It's backfired spectacularly because there hasn't been a more unified uh, protest in recent memory across caste, class, region and religious lines. so I think, and, and all of those divisions, I think, are very sort of real and we wouldn't want to underplay them and not get sort of caught up in romanticism that they've been dissolved. There are real frictions between sort of caste, you know, Jat-Dalit relations, um, class hierarchies are sort of ever present. Um, there's some frictions over region even and 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 religion, like I said, but solidarities have been forged. So on the caste question, um, a lot of the Khet unions, have come out in full support of the Kisan unions. There is a kind of structural tension because usually the Kisan unions are looking for a higher daily wage from the very Kisans that are advocating for a higher MSP. Um, but nonetheless, they see neoliberal Hindutva as the greatest threat to them. So they've sort of allied. Uh, groups like the Zameen Prabhupati Sangarsh Committee, which is active in Malwa, trying to get Dalits, one third of Shamlat lands, um, have full on endorsed this struggle. Um, even you know Dalit, uh, uh, photographers and filmmakers and individuals on the ground have sort of given statements about what amazing camaraderie there is at the barricades and the fact that people are not uh, discriminating, people are sort of living together, sleeping together, cooking food and confronting the police all sort of in the same space. Um, so there's a kind of beauty to that. Class, as you mentioned, yeah, RTAs have come on board, um, but you know, students groups, lawyers, professionals, urban workers, I mean, everybody across the board, all sorts of associations, civic groups, cultural groups have have given statements. Um, the incredible and historic sort of solidarity that has been forged between Haryana and Punjab. I mean, the Kassans in on both sides were the ones that joined together on the 26th to push aside and dismantle those police knocking. And uh, we hadn't seen that. I mean, this was one state until 1966, and there have been friction before over over water resources. Um, but the fact that the Kisan and Khait Mazdoor uh, groups in Haryana and the Pajats and others have sort of given their wholehearted support, has been incredible. And religion, we just have to say that, uh, you know, it begins in Punjab and that mobilization is led by sect. Um, but uh, in the course of the struggle, Hindus and even Muslim and Christians and other groups have sort of joined in uh, from Haryana and Delhi and North India. So it has a kind of multi-religious character as well. So in a way, like uh, that is why I think there's nothing like this uh, before in sort of recent memory, and that's what gives it the vibrancy and the potency, and that's why it's been able to deflect all the kind of ridiculous accusations that have been hurled against it. Uh, and it has real staying power. I mean, there's not—it's not just a slogan when they say they brought six months of supplies, and there's langars uh, happening everywhere, and people are being sustained by by that uh, tradition in Sikhi. and and uh, it's a it's a it's a real um, challenge to uh, the BJP's expectation of of, of their rule.
0: Just a tidbit on um, the symbolism and saying of six months that the, you know they brought um, uh, yeah, right. food and all that. Um, I saw WhatsApp video the other day where Kassans were taking the road dividers in the Murtul Expressway uh, or basically GT Road, and they're basically towing on that and and growing onions and. Um, you know like herbs and stuff that can grow on like low patch lands and they're right. actually growing it throughout like miles long for everyone they're like they're like we're gonna stay here might as well there's no point of right. going back <laughs> right, right. and they're, and they're showing it
1: <laughs> and they're you i think i saw some another one where they're using broken bits of concrete of these barriers as like the corners of and making rooting on them and so, so the creativity <laughs> and the ingenuity is, is sort of on display for everyone yeah
0: you no, know, I I think we skipped one part, which is perfectly fine. But I just wanted to talk about it because I feel like people don't understand. Is that uh, and 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 again, when we we were talking about these thirty one unions, and I really want to focus on this. It's so, in what way? What's the easiest way to describe and kind of understand that people? You know, whether it's Punjab, even though it's you know it's. It's not that large of a state when you think about it, right? right. Um, neither right. is Haryana. Um, they always come into, not maybe the smallest, but on the smaller tend of states. And yet you have just so many people spread out with their different, uh, you know, representation. The, the biggest, I think, the, the biggest union of them of all is the BKU, right? The Bharat Kassan Union. But within the Bharat Kassan Union, you have, you know, whether it's like the uh, Kirti Kisan Union, the Pajam Kisan Union, Um, all these people at one point had their different kind of uh, agendas, uh, different, you know, political, like, kind of biases. Um, For the very first time, they've all come under one, like, umbrella. And that's a reason why, and if you see visuals of people um, in terms of the press conferences, uh, you won't have one person, which is what you typically expect, right? Whether you, you know, it was India against, against corruption, you would have Anna Hazare. Um, if it was any of these other movements, you would have that one individual. Here, you have around seven to nine different people, and then they alternate depending on who all um, to give speeches. And even in, even in like the press conferences, if you've heard, and, and I, I, you know, I encourage people to actually listen to their press conferences, um, you have literally like, it's not one person giving an entire speech. It's two people, you know, will say, you know, a two minute spiel about this, then the next person will take the different topic, then the next person will do the different topic. And one thing that I think is ingenious, um, and is that they're not letting an identity take over uh like an individual identity that mean like a figurehead take over this um and that's something that you saw for example the one thing that I noticed um when you know they had a meeting with Amit Shah who's the home minister in India is that they tried to divide the the, the Kisans up right it was tactfully mm, mm. where they were like we'll take you to this room we'll take the other to the room and they voiced that and not a lot of people picked that up but that was a very like like a tactful thing from from I guess the government to do, but a very discouraging step when you look at it when they're trying to divide them up, taking them into different rooms, even though that might not seem as much. But you know, there are there reasons why they're doing that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the 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 size of Punjab and Haryana, you know, these are sort of mid to small size states. Um, but what does that mean in a country like India? <sighs> Right. I, I think I wrote somewhere, you know, these two states have something like 53 million people. Uh, that's more than the population of Colombia or Spain or South Korea. Right. So imagine if like all of South Korea was up in arms or all of Colombia was at threat of their economy and livelihood being destroyed. Right. In the midst of one point three billion, it could be small. But but these are still you know, huge numbers of people. And Punjab, especially, it's on something like one point five percent of the territory of India. It has 2% of the population. But for three, four, five decades, it produced 60 to 70% of the rice and wheat that fed the entire country. You hear people saying this uh, when they get interviewed, it's not just a slogan. Um, And so that kind of disproportionate contribution to food grains is part of, uh, was suffering famines and food shortages, you needed Punjab and Haryana. And now that there's this new economic logic at play, you can just throw them to the dogs, uh, and people are not going to stand for that. Um, in terms of the unions, yeah, it, it is it is worth pointing out that the beauty of so many flags. You know, with it actually when you when you look, you see an incredible assortment, and one shouldn't get exasperated by that. That plurality actually reflects the the, the people on the ground. Uh, the BKU Graha is one of the largest unions. Um, like I said, some of them have alignments with political parties, whether they were the Congress or the Akalli uh, or, or, or others. Um, some of them focused in certain regions, whether it's or Maja or Malwa. Some of them focused on certain um, kinds of cultivation. So, so sugarcane growers had their kind of own union stronghold and others that, that worked on other issues, cotton you know, growers had their own, um, but they have come together. And the unity is, is, is incredible. Um, The government is playing its dirty tricks to try to divide them up. They're very astute and know that that's not how it's going to go. So they've made those kind of commitments. They have a common program. No one's wanting to back down on it. Um, Now, the last thing I want to say about this though is in the course of this mobilization, we've seen a new sort of uh, leadership emerge as well. So you have these union leaders who are, many of them are older. They've been veterans of this movement for a long time. But at the same time, new voices, young people have been politicized and have been at the forefront and they've developed a following and they're helping make decisions on the ground. The two most remarkable ones are the decision to push past police barricades was a kind of grassroots, uh, spontaneous decision, not to just accept being hemmed in where they were. Some of the union leaders were against this. But their membership compelled them to go forward and push to Delhi. And then the, I think I, you know, can say it, the monumental decision not to enter Delhi and not to go to the Ramadila grounds or not to go to the Bharati grounds and to actually stay at the, at the borders and shut down the city's main roadways. I think this is going to change the face of political protest in India. Um, that is what the government wanted. They wanted them to come to these designated areas to set up their tents and stages and perform their protest and be hemmed in and corralled and then ignored. And it was grassroots activists on the ground who saw that, realized that it was a dead end and a trap, and then said, no, we're going to stop right here. And the union leadership, again, to their credit, abided by that grassroots sort of force, and, and so I, I really think in the coming months and years, we're actually going to see a whole new narrative and new sets of people enter into Politics beyond sort of elections.
0: Yeah, and so when you say these grassroots, you know, activists are these farmers themselves, or are they actual professional activists? Like, you know, when you're talking about okay, I can easily classify union leaders and their leadership, right? You have official positions, you have this, you have a following, responsibilities. Now, when you're talking about these two monumental decisions and they're, you know, I, I guess led by these grassroots activists, who are they? Is it, you know, I, a farmer from, you know, my uh, farming community, and my land has, you know, the price of land has gone down, the yield of my crop has gone down. So here I am protesting my right for the things that have been guaranteed to me. And now they are at, you know, risk of, of going away. So is that the grassroots activism? Or are we talking about more of a well-educated, the understanding, you know, the, the the, I hate to say this, but like the liberal kind of like the understanding of what we have as a, as a quote-unquote activist in, in social media and Instagram and stuff about, you know, they'll read Arundhati Roy and they'll be provoked by that. And then they'll do this, et cetera. So what can you, can you kind of like distinguish yeah. who we're talking about at this point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a fascinating question. I mean, I think these are the kind of people maybe Arundhati Roy would want to read and then write about later and you know, <laughs> sell, sell another million books. Um, it is really undoing some of those cliches that you, that you rightly point to. Um, these are not, um, they don't fall easily into one category or another. Um, you know, the question is like, what, how does one emerge as a activist leader? And, uh, you know, so some of these people, um, you know, you, you, it could be something like, you know, you give a really captivating speech and you have that gift of gab and you have that style and you can inspire people. Um, others, you know, you have a little bit of a following in your village and the surrounding villages. And so when it's coming to a demonstration, you can get 50 or 100 people out. Um, others might have been student leaders on campus. Um, others might have been in charge of you know, some mandi board or some other group. Um, a lot of these people were involved in the Punjabi campaigns where they wanted to get signboards replaced and put in Punjabi. Um, others were involved in other movements like um, uh, the, the sacrilege cases that happened a couple of years ago in Punjab. Um, and so, so they, they sort of come from different backgrounds. Um, they speak Punjabi, some of them speak Hindi speak English, they read three or four languages. They're heavy on social media. Um, so so it, it's sort of a, a variety of backgrounds. One person to kind of mention, maybe your you know listeners would, would look him up, is a guy named Lakasadana. And Lakasadana has like a very storied kind of life. I mean he he's a self-admitted uh, former gangster who was kind of involved in the kind of underworld in Punjab was being manipulated by a politician and like got into fights and brawls. I think he sort of maybe shot people. He got shot a couple of times, spent a lot of time in jail, came to this realization and became a kind of reformed social activist and was involved in a number of years, developed a kind of following and his credibility. And now he's at the forefront of these protests um, and, and really has been so astute in describing um, the situation on the ground and when, what needs to happen. Um, and at the same time, emphasizing unity. So like they are still respectful of the union leadership. They're working hand in glove with them. Um, they're not trying to like dislodge them, um, but it is, a, it is a kind of two track process where you see the union leaders who have their following and credibility in decades, but then these new people and following each of their trajectories uh, is its own kind of fascinating task.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, someone who works uh, on young people in India, um, encourages young people to participate. One thing that I found fascinating is, there's also this, this great divide in terms of, of, you know, there are farmers that are somewhat older, um, fighting for, you know, not just their land, but the um, generations of what they've seen and the prospects of what will happen afterwards. And then there's this, you know, other phase of, of people that are fighting for this and out in the protest that are comparatively young. And I think that is comes more from frustration. And like we, I was briefly getting into, it's these young people who, you know, aren't as well educated. Um, they aren't as well skilled either. Um, and maybe farming wasn't, you know, their primary occupation or the thoughts that they wanted to do, which we've seen a lot people have uh, written a lot about this. Um, yet because of, you know, the declining prices in land, uh, yield crop prices, that they have no other option, right? And because their lack of, you know, uh, skills to have uh, another job, they have to rely back. And at this point now, that kind of safety net that they always thought that they had is at risk of going away, which provokes them even more. And, and that's what I'm seeing all these young people come out and participate. It's like they might not have partaken as... Uh, passionately in the, in the land itself. Obviously, they come from a farming community, but it, it was their safety net for their livelihood. And now that's also at risk, and they have no other skills to, to rely upon. And that's provoked them to go out in these streets. And these are young people.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, I, I would just maybe um, alter that a little bit in the sense that uh, they don't have many options, but they are very often like, very well-educated. In a sense, they've gotten degrees. They've gone to school. They got one or two masters, but there's no jobs. Uh, There is no sort of industrial economy. There is no sort of viable future in their minds for livelihood there. And so, as you mentioned, agriculture becomes this kind of um, safety net, but also lots of people are sort of going back into agriculture and figuring out organic farming and other techniques. Um, But those young people, what, what has also been really exciting to witness is a nearly wholesale rejection of the entire existing political party structure. Everybody that I've listened to speak has denounced the Congress, they've denounced the they've denounced the party, they've of course denounced the BJP. Nobody has any hope in these existing parties. Um, None of these parties are allowed to speak from the stage at any of these protests. Um, All of the leaders sort of did gestures in September and October, they still make statements about supporting the protests but nobody's under, under any illusion that the mess that the agrarian economy is in is because of uh, dysfunction across all of the existing parties. Um, and, and so that's where, um, like, again, here, I mean, you, you still have this kind of ping pong match between the Democrats and the Republicans here, right? And people still kind of get enamored by one or the other. And like, if you tell somebody in America, you don't, um, have any faith in the democratic party their eyes grow wide and they say that means you're a republican <laughs> and you're like well can you think out of the binary in this kind like is there anything else in your imagination and often it's just like well if it ain't this it's that or if you're an independent you're in between the two and you just realize that the political spectrum is so narrow and atrophied here and that the, the people there actually have a, a much wider canvas to 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 think through um and and that's why i think coming up with a new agrarian model and figuring out you know, how to organize you know, social relations is part of this struggle.
0: So I think that's a great segue to something that I wanted to talk about and I think you've answered it, but I, I'd wanna go a little bit more uh, in depth, is that if I turn on the news, while I'll see the farmers protesting in any news channel, something that's you know if it's if it's something as independent as News Laundry to something as mainstream as ajstak or NDTV, regardless of their biases, um, I will you know see the farmers protest, and then the next step will be oh Arvind Kejriwal does a fast, oh Rahul Gandhi tweets this, oh Narendra Singh Tomar uh, you know gave this press conference, Piyush Goel says this, Modi says this, right. Um, everything is connected to a political party or a politician. And I think that gives this narrative that regardless of what anyone is saying, whatever, you know, you're saying, or what people are saying that we're not politicized, there's got like, and if I also didn't have a firsthand perspective of this, I would say is how are they sustaining this movement? There has got to be a political backing to it. And, you know, everyone loves to come up with conspiracy theories, um, whether it's something as like, oh, the India against corruption um, protests were, you know, propped up by the RSS, which has been somewhat proven, etc. But everyone's trying to come up with this. And, and even in, in in this essence, it's not that, you know, these people are supported politically by these political parties, it's that these political parties are trying to push themselves upon these protests. And like someone that's, you know, Ahmadni Party brought up, you know, did their own langur or a safety checkup and all that stuff. Then the Congress is doing their own things. And then you have the Samajwadi Party trying to do something in Uttar Pradesh and all that stuff. So I think it's very hard to kind of segregate the two because in every part uh, of, of the states and, and whether even... I mean, honestly, even in down south, in, in Telangana, you had uh, the DRS government come out and, and kind of support and do their own, you know, protest in Hyderabad and stay out and, and have their little speeches and all that stuff. So everyone's trying to push themselves upon this movement. How does one kind of, first of all, segregate that and then believe that this is actually separate from the political parties, that this isn't? And, and, and the reason I ask that, it's important because then if you are and especially in the diaspora here right um it's like as soon as you put something and annotate it to an opposition party it's like oh they're after modi modi's trying to do something good for the right and it it, it becomes into that mm. loophole which is what what interests me and how do i convince someone because if if i were to show them any kind of primary example of what's happening if i ask them to turn on any news channel independent or mainstream you you would still have that connection with politics if that makes sense which i don't find a yeah. bad thing
1: yeah i i i i see what you're saying and um i think uh it's it actually tells us a lot about the culture and mindsets of the people making these kinds of statements um and you know i I think it's, it's, it's a kind of known um, sort of common sense kind of thing that, you know, for a lot of the elites in Delhi or Calcutta or Bombay, Bangalore, Hyderabad, or Karachi, Dhaka, you know, uh, elsewhere, uh, they have more in common with people in New York and Paris and London and Tokyo and Beijing than they do with the people 15 or 20 miles this way or that way. Um, and they are in a sense kind of estranged from their own fellow citizens that something like this is happening, and they're so baffled. And when statements and evidence is presented to them, they can't believe that that could be true. They can't believe that there is a rich font of cultural religious energy with all of its resources and supports that has been sustaining, sustaining this movement outside of conventional political channels. Um, Sikhi is a, a, a revolutionary inspiring force for people at the front lines. It's not a religious movement, but this is not an economic movement either in the sense that one can't have these clear separations between the two. The jagare you hear at the, at the, at the, at the forefront, the in things like langar and seva, uh the sense of equality for all, uh, you know, the the parts that are going on. I mean, these are all, you know, Sikhi permeates this. Um, the fact that there's, 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 uh, you know, puja's happening, the fact that there's namazes being, you know, read. I mean, those are the, there, there are these um, institutions that exist outside of conventional political parties that have sustained communities for decades, uh, centuries. Um, I mean, when I've gone to Kisan Union protests in the past before, way before on small scale things, I was fed. I was fed Langar before anything. And, um, you know, it was a kind of new experience if you're kind of used to politics here, right? Um, and again, another very uh, important statement that has come out from the protests is the, 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 the call that people ought to come to the barricades. We need people. We don't need money. We actually have enough, you know, we have enough money, we have enough supplies, all of the gurdwari are giving. The villages surrounding these protest sites in Haryana have donated milk and grains and cooking oils and blankets, any number of things. And they're actually saying that we we, we are being sustained by our community, we need people to fight at the forefront. Contrast that with politics in this country. There is nothing outside of donations. All you hear is fundraising, 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 donations, donations, donations. I mean, Biden, winner of the election, uh, was sending a emails money. a few days. Yeah, right. But a few <laughs> days afterwards was saying, could you please donate money so I can sort of clinch this election? I mean, there is actually nothing else from top to bottom beyond sort of gathering money. So so I think that's like the clear sign that they, they the people that can't, Recognize this are estranged from their own citizen
0: no, that's a That's a really good point, and something that I think we all should be kind of thinking about um, and 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 talking about how this is just so completely outside of of the normal politicization and the politicking I would say that occurs within india and and outside of india um, so I think I want to move on to the next kind of aspect in the last segment, um, and we might have a lot of disagreements here. Um, so I'm, I'm really uh, uh, excited about that, um, is how the diaspora has um, responded to the protests that's occurring. Um, mm-hmm. A, I just want to get your thoughts, and then I'm gonna kind of push you on some of of, of of maybe things that I might disagree with. But, but sure. what do you think has been, um, you know, the impact of the diaspora and, and obviously what role has a diaspora played? Now we can, if you want to distinguish it between let's say the UK, Canada slash the US diaspora, feel free to, whatever you think um, yeah. is best. So
1: I think um, it's been really uh, inspiring and heartening to see um, people again, on a, on a smaller scale from I think August and September, mm-hmm. there were small scale actions that happened in different places right through to the last uh, you know, two or three weeks where we've had these massive demonstrations across the US and Canada and Australia and England uh, and, and other parts of Europe um, it's it's amazing um, it's organized by different groups and individuals so in California the Jakarta movement uh, was at the forefront of organizing the the demonstrations uh, in in, uh, in San Francisco in the Bay Area um, I think here it was you know different gorre in Long Island or in New Jersey that that did the actions at the, and Queens of course, that did the actions at the consulate in New York. Um, In Toronto and Brampton, I know that a lot of the international students uh, were involved in uh, putting those on and bringing sound systems and trucks and flags and and giving speeches. So it's amazing. And I think, um, you know, there's a couple of different, I think um, the the reasons why I think it's so significant. On the one hand, I think that the actions that are done here, affect the people on the front lines there. And the people at those barricades can see that their you know, fellow community members in this sort of global sense are standing up for them and putting on this kind of show of force in other countries and it gives them heart. And that's an important aspect of any kind of demonstration. Um, on the other hand, I think that it does put meaningful pressure on the Indian government. Um, they don't like this international attention uh, they want things to be confined to an internal matter, uh, and uh, yet it's important to have that pressure to let the Indian government know that the world is watching um, and so that they come to the table and uh, engage with the farmers in a in a in a meaningful way, um, and not do the kinds of things that the Indian government has done in the past. Um, and then the last part about it is I think uh, for people to be involved in an issue, the South Asian diaspora, if you will, it's important actually for this society because I think it helps make America or Canada or England or wherever else slightly more civilized in the sense that you see people on the streets, uh, having protests, rallies, signing petitions, writing articles, um, giving speeches, doing a hundred other things. And you, know, you figure out uh, your place in this society, you let others know who you are, um, And then you draw connections. You draw connections from what's happening there to what's happened here. Um, This is something I kind of said before too, but if you've seen that clip of um, that police officer striking one of our besorubs with a latte, and you feel angry, then you must feel outraged when you see that clip of that police officer murdering George Floyd. You know, And and I think those are the ways that I the people that are involved in the protests here you can imagine them getting involved in politics in this country and continuing those struggles in city council and school trustee board and mayoral races and all the way up the chain uh, and across outside of electoral politics.
0: Yeah, you know, I just on that fact, um, I'm very passionate about you know electoral politics and youth participation, and I completely agree that. Within India, you'll have you know these young farmers who will uh, hopefully be participating in you know gram panchayat, panchayat, district elections. Will they'll actually be able to have a say? And then here, hopefully, you know the diaspora will be moved enough to represent, and especially in these areas that are that are you know have DC pockets to be able to kind of represent as a city council member in Queens or um, a local official in you know one of these uh, Bay Area counties, etc. So here's here's something that I have been thinking about a lot. Um, and I mm-hmm. want to preface this by saying this, that I come from an upper caste Hindu family in Haryana, right? So my lived experiences are substantially better than many. Um, but also I come from a perspective, especially someone that belongs from, you know, a land owning kind of family passionate about this. And at one point, looking at the diaspora, looking at what's been told, I felt a bit alienated. And I'll tell you why. And I'm not trying to play victim here at all. I have no like, kind of stake in that way. The fact that the diaspora especially, right? So I have people in my community, the village that I'm from in Haryana, um, that, you know, haven't gone back home. They have been literally at the farming protests and the sites. Um, they have sold off, you know, their, their cattle, they've sold off, et cetera. And not just one or two, but many, many and young people. So they can fund their activities that are going on. They have you know, wholeheartedly invested themselves in this cause because they believe in it. Um, and, and specifically in Haryana. And I, In a way, at points, I feel that their cause and their sacrifices were being discredited because of this becoming a, especially in the, I would argue in the diaspora, not necessarily in India, Um, but in the diaspora, it became a Punjab movement, right? Which I have a huge, huge, huge um, argument with, and and I completely disagree with, is that it's not a Punjab movement. You can't make it into a Punjabi thing um, because this obviously, you know, you're discounting the credit and it, and it was early on before um, you were discounting the, the sacrifices that obviously farmers in Haryana, Western UP, Rajasthan are coming in. I mean, I, I, you probably saw that video of like the thousands and thousands of cattle that were coming in from Rajasthan that were stopped in. Um, and, I think it was humorous
1: though, right? I think that was like yeah,
0: uh, yeah, 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 but, but the but whole so idea. many people got it wrong. So many people
1: <laughs> got it like wrong. It was funny to watch the reactions of people But it's mis- hilarious.
0: It, but, it but, is, but, but, yeah. but it's hilarious. It, it, it's, it's hilarious in the fact that you have all like this entire kind of like a variety of of backgrounds coming together and it not just becoming um something that's that's necessarily Punjabi related so and when I talk about this you know I am a consumer of Twitter and Instagram right and then you have the carousel swinging let me guide you and explain to you that this is what's happening and all those really and I get it because there's such a high concentration especially in the diaspora of what the farmers protest is and it is for for Punjab, but you can't discount the these other regions, these other kind of like states that are equally as invested in this because it means so much to them. And I think, mm. and I think the bigger issue that I had with that is, regardless how I feel or whatever feels doesn't really matter. But what really comes into I think for me, is that the BJP thrives in this. The BJP thrives in this divide. You make it into a Punjabi issue, you make it into a Sikh issue, then that Sikh issue translated into a Khalistani issue, then it becomes an internal security matter, and then boom, where you had public approval, then public approval is what matters, right? At the end of the day, it like if the public sentiment is with the farmers, you might have some sort of breakthrough on this. If that public sentiment you know, goes down to a certain percentage and it's, it's game over for them, then you can't do it. Uh, for a fact, following BGP and BGP's politics, they will not stand down until you have absolute outstanding public sentiment on that side. And what I think I personally, and I'm sorry I'm going on, but I really want to kind of no, like but- get this out there, is that I feel that, diaspora politics does not recognize like the uh, the need of the moment at this point where I see where you're trying to piggyback and there are so many everlasting issues that have not been resolved but I don't think piggybacking on this movement will solve those issues that have you know that that have been unresolved for the previous years right and I think what all this will do and yes the electorate in India is very wishy-washy um, I don't know if you remember, but when, the, and it's been a year, the NARC bills that were happening, once the, you know, I, I literally saw this, and I, and I cover, and again, focus on young people, um, is I, I saw there be a big outrage after Delhi police uh, went into JNU with the lucky charge, not just on Twitter. Like I saw people in Kurukshetra University. In, and Jamia uh, and JNU. And Jamia, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamia was a very vivid, yeah. vivid uh, yeah. image of it in the computer lab or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then JNU was also where they, they went yeah. in and, um, um, and, and you, like, I saw people in Kurukshetra University and these agriculture universities in Hazar and You know, Jindal Global, etc. They came out and saying, no, you know, you can't be violent against students, and then in within a 24-hour to 48-hour, you know, time frame, the conversation then went from violence against students to violence. You know, then it being a more over the whole, you know, national anti-national gang etc. and all those people that were you know protesting uh, against the student violence then automatically stu- turned against and then like oh yeah NNARC and and all that stuff C A, A. R blah are great right and and mm-hmm. and I'm sorry I'm just like rushing through this because I want to end sure. this in terms of me but that sure, sure, was so sure. frustrating because it yeah, was like definitely. you have public sentiment and then it goes away
1: right right so look these are this is important. Um, and I think so. There's there's a couple of different conversations or themes in this in, in the points you're making um, that I can I can maybe speak to. One is um, there is a very big difference between the sort of culture uh, and politics in India and here, as you know. Um, in in at the protest sites, we have to recognize. Look, the movement emerged in Punjab. Uh, because these bills affect Punjab and Haryana disproportionately, the Punjabi Kisan and Cape Mazdur unions were the most active and well-organized and had their cadre on the ground. The people that they are mobilizing happen to be Sikh, and Sikhi then becomes part of the struggle in that sense. But it quickly grew to include all sorts of other people across North India. The Haryana. Kisan and Kate mazdoor Unions were locked arm in step with the Punjabi ones on November 26th. And so that unity was so historic, and then the move to Delhi sort of together. So everybody there, I think, on the ground is very much aware. And I think in all the kind of videos you see and, and sort of depictions, and that's why they bring some somebody from Haryana, somebody from UP. Uh, they're there, present. It's a kind of, you know, they, they have all this like, you know, shows of, of you know, Haryanvi swag and like showing the Haryanbi culture there and well. So I think that that's kind of obvious on the ground. Um, you know, the fact is, and we've had these conversations too with others, that the struggle, the horizon of the struggle is not just to preserve MSP and Mundi in Punjab and Haryana, that the other Kisan unions across the country, you know, rather than just be in solidarity with Punjab, And oppose the BJP. I said this, uh, you know, some couple weeks ago on Twitter. What they ought to do is mobilize their followers and block the other three routes to Delhi and demand MSP and Mundi systems across the country. Right? It's not just being sympathetic with Punjab and Haryana and this little pocket in the northwest, but food security and stability and protection from the volatility of the market should be for all cultivators across the country. We have a potential to actually create a new agrarian model. And I think that's where the conversation is going. Um, you know, the gestures of solidarity are fine, but that would actually be much more meaningful. And I think that's where, you know, the decision not to go to Jantar Mantar and not to go to Ramli the grounds was so important because I don't think henceforward any kind of, uh, you know, Gandhian social activist can propose to do that and sit on a pokkrtal and have a little drama and go away. like. They're good-hearted people, but that is so ineffective. And if you really want to do something, you need not hundreds, but thousands and tens of thousands of people willing to take that step. So I think the Kisan Unions in Madhya Pradesh and Andhra and Telangana and Tamil Nadu will hopefully move in that direction. Now, the diaspora stuff is different um, because of histories. And I think that the Punjabi Sikh community has been mobilized from you know, decades um, There is a history of persecution of Sikh in India. There is a genocide campaign throughout the 80s. The people that came here were very active in that movement. And before that, the Nakhslite movement, the Gadribabbe, there's a long history of that. And so they're more organized and committed. I don't think that um, it should be seen as only a Sikh issue. It should be seen in all of the diversity of the people on the front line should be present here. I'd want, the conversation you're having, I think, is a conversation to have. You know, for instance, with the different um, Hindu mandirs in the New York area. Like, are you sending delegations to the protests? Make sure you get time to speak at the stage. Make sure you mobilize your community and bring people out. Because in the end, it comes down to who who's going to bring people out. So, if if anybody has that capacity to do it uh, and has that sort of wherewithal, I would I'd be surprised if anybody made them feel unwelcome, Mm -hmm. you know? I think if a community hasn't been persecuted in the same way, I don't think they develop those mechanisms. I'll give you another example. In Toronto, where I grew up, the Sri Lankan Tamil community is very well organized. And when they have their martyr's day anniversary, I believe it's in March, they bring thousands of people out to Queen's Park in Toronto. The, 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 you know, the Maratha community in Toronto is not mobilized in the same way, right? The Marathi community, right? Or the Bengali community might not be organized in the same way. But the Tamils are because that history of persecution has kind of created this diaspora that has those connections and those mechanisms. And so they'll, they're will they more willing and ready and able to do things. So I, I guess in short, there is no barrier for any other community to be more active. Uh, it has to come from within those communities. And then... I can I can I can only see them being welcomed in these kinds of spaces.
0: Yeah, I, I have no like I have no doubt that they won't be welcomed, right? I think they will be welcomed, but I just think that in a very um, political electoral perspective, when it comes to these protests and obviously the sustainability of this protest and what I was talking about public approval. Uh, just your thoughts and I guess opinion on. If we make this and what you know the diaspora is trying to do, a larger coalition of these issues, does that net like will that actually work? Because to me, and from what I've seen in the past four to five years, that has been the failure of of protests and movements. Right? Like so what you were what saying. Work? What do you exactly
1: saying? Now? What do you mean? What will work? What is the
0: will? Work, work as in terms of getting public sentiment on their side to m- ensure that hey, either these bills, if they're not rescinded, um, then at least sentiment builds up, and the fact that we have more appreciation for these protesters for these farmers, and make sure that the government does something. I, I don't know what the, the end result will be. Hopefully, what the, the goals will be met. But the fact that, you know, the demands will be met, etc. Um, so, so my thing is, is, at the end of the day, you need countrywide public sentiment for this right approval. And the past five, six years, what I've seen with the Modi government and notice is that, and like what you're saying, the, prote- the 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 farmers and unions in in this aspect have done everything right in terms of not being the typical activist, uh, you know, like not being able to oh let's go to uh, you know these grounds do that. But here is something that always comes up, and and I saw this in the student protests in the NAR NRC. Uh, they were able to bring in, which I I get it. Like, you know, you want solidarity, you want like everyone to, to kind of come together. They brought in Kashmir, but someone from like, you know, and I'll be honest, someone from Pela, uh, Haryana, which is largely all farming communities, um, and students, um, because of Kurukshetra university being there, doesn't really find the appeal to have a solidarity with let's say Kashmir when, you know, uh, all that was happening and were able to give their support they didn't right they were like that's something that's not so in the same case do you think you know people from Tandanard or Andhra Pradesh can show the same solidarity or even even in Haryana in some aspects I would say of when this movement which is made out to be and you see it by the like statements by these by these ministers you see it by what Modi's trying to do, the BJP's trying to do, where they're trying to make it part of not just a certain sect of community and farmers, but, oh, being pushed by the quote-unquote Khalistani elements and all that. I, I see that when, from an outsider's perspective, making others feel like, oh, this might, you know, it's not as clear-cut as we thought it would be.
1: No, definitely. I, like, I, I think that um, that's why it's called struggle, right? It is an <laughs> open-ended contest and Struggle is the only guarantee, not the outcome. So I think the case has to be made that neoliberalism is a threat to everyone. This kind of deregulation, privatization, financialization will harm everybody's interests. If, you know, and, then, and then it's incumbent on communities that are at the forefront of that to mobilize and fight it. Um, so, you know, the government will spin its narrative. Uh, well, the government will actually make its clear-cut statements. The media will spin different narratives out of that. It, I don't even say that it's up to the people of Bihar or it's up to the people of Andhra. I'm saying the Kisan and Keit Mazdoor unions in Bihar and Andhra have to be able to cut through that nonsense and articulate their own narrative as to why these things are damaging and make new claims to the state, uh, like I said, of MSP and Mundi for all, and then do that patient, thankless, inglorious work of mobilizing and bringing people to the forefront. If the government says, these are this is just a set issue, or these are this is some separatist issue, they can say this. Uh, the news channels can blast this for 24 hours a day. People on the ground that see differently have to do the work of, of contesting this. I, I, you know, that, that, that is actually their kind of duty if they want to fight this. In the diaspora, I think, even if you, if your family or whoever else might be connected to the BJP, look in Punjab. People in the diaspora have connections to the Congress. They have connections to the Akalis. They have connections to the Ahmadi party. When it came to this, people have broken with their political affiliations, right? The, the protests on the ground say, people from all of those political parties are welcome to sit in the Sangat. You can't give speeches from the front, but now is the time to put your flags away and come and join and huge numbers have. So if you have some family tie connection to the BJP, so be it. Have an honest look at what's going on. If you're a neoliberal zealot, you know, fanatic supporter, then maybe you're going to denounce the, the, the farmers. But if you have empathy and a creativity and awareness, then you ought to come in support of this struggle. In the diaspora, all we have is solidarity. We should be clear that we are doing symbolic gestures, like I said, to support the people on the ground and put pressure on the Indian government. We are not dictating terms and actually laying out any kind of strategic initiatives. We are just doing that. And that's where the ripple effect will happen, right? That when people politicize and mobilize here, when when people mobilize here, they are politicized. And that's what makes them aware of their surroundings. It makes them aware of their power. You know, you challenge one form of authority, you become amenable to challenging all sorts of other authorities. Right. So, so you deal with, like, you see this, you know, the taqqa of the BJP government there, you mobilize, you have a protest, you attend a rally. Next time, you know, you experience sexism as a woman, maybe you don't take it. Or you experience racism here. Maybe you're not so willing to take it. Maybe you'll stand up for your rights in other ways, right? Because you've seen what it means to fight and challenge authority and hierarchy. You'll start doing that in other realms. Maybe you'll take initiatives to like, address caste inequality in our communities. Right? The Hindu community needs to do this. The sex community needs to do this. South Asian Muslims need to do this. So that's where, like, this is in a weird way, I don't want to be romantic again, but there's a kind of democratizing or a deepening of democracy when people get involved. And But, but it comes through struggle, and that's why it's unpredictable, open-ended, uh, yet hopeful.
0: So... Uh, what do you think? Uh, what's going to happen? Um, if you have any assumptions of what will happen, uh, because I personally don't think uh, this this government will relent, um, because I think it'll open the floodgates for everything else. Because then people and farmers specifically have have you know set a standard, which I think is beautiful. Um, I just think that the BGP understands this too well that oh, then every other protest will meet that standard to you know push our buttons, et cetera, whatever. So. I personally believe they're going to try to do as much as to divide to make sure that the public sentiment then decreases for or in support. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think they will do that and much more. I think they have a big bag of dirty tricks. Uh, They've learned a lot from the Congress, which maybe has a bigger (laughs) bag. Um, But I think that governments are invincible until they're not. And the BJP, probably more than any other government, is invested in projecting itself as invincible and never taking a step back, impervious to criticism. But, you know, as Punjabis, uh, we've heard, uh, Aurangzeb say that too. (laughs) We've heard the British say this too. Amitabh Dali was invincible. You know, (laughs) Alexander the Great was supposedly invincible. So these claims I don't think uh, mean much. People are clear-sighted, they know that uh the majoritarian sort of tendencies and the kind of strong-arm tactics but then it is a question of their resolve, their tenacity and their creativity and I think it's out of that struggle that we'll see an outcome. Um you know right now the BJP sure is not showing any signs of backtracking but you have to remember that in September they said the bills are going to pass and they are immaculate and you fools don't understand. In the last few weeks, they've said, explain to us what's wrong with the bills. Maybe we didn't understand. Would you take this or that amendment? Maybe we ought to figure this or that out. Uh, So they've actually moved quite a bit in their position. And and I think those cracks in the edifice are what we can hope will grow and lead to a full repeal. So I'm in the camp of fateh.
0: (laughs) Perfect. I think that's a perfect way to end things. Thank you so much, nebu for, for coming on to the show, trying to discuss and help me understand more and hopefully the listeners understand more about the mobilization efforts and of of, of not just, you know, uh, the farmers themselves, uh, political parties, the unions, and the diaspora. Um, thanks again, Naviug. Yeah,
1: no doubt, Sadanshut. You know, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to the future.
0: Perfect. Um, awesome. Uh, let me just start Ooh. recording